0: So Athanasius was one of the great defenders of Christian orthodoxy. Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the world is what he was known by. He defended the divinity of Jesus Christ against those who, who would argue otherwise, that Jesus was created. And one of the things that um, his, his enemies called him was the dwarf, And I think for that reason, I love Athanasius a lot. Because growing up, some of you know, my friends would always call me Gimli. So Athanasius has always been dear to my heart. But Athanasius was not just some Gimli against the world, but he was also a delicate pastor. And as he wrote to one of his parishioners who was on his deathbed, he said, you you do well to think of the Psalms during this time. The Psalms, Athanasius told us, was the symphony of the Spirit that connects to the broader symphony of the Spirit in the Bible. So we don't listen to symphonies very often, but what, what we do know about symphonies in our times is that they build up in anticipation and expectation to the, the later parts of the symphony. So Athanasius was saying that the whole Bible is like the symphony of the Spirit, the Spirit is the great conductor that, that guides the symphony of, this, of the Bible to its purpose. The Old Testament builds up in its expectation and leads up into the crescendo of Jesus Christ and his work. The, old, the, new, the new Testament authors then develop those themes that the Old Testament introduced and bring them to the hallelujah choruses in the book of Revelation. John, the Apostle John in Revelation, describes what he heard in in this great finale and what we will also one day hear. John says, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So this is the great symphony of the Spirit. The Bible is this united whole that presents us with this, this unified picture of the Messiah. And it invites us into worshiping God himself through his Messiah by the Spirit, that's why Athanasius said the psalms play a particular part in this symphony of the spirit, in this grand symphony of the spirit. The psalms have this unique role in, in giving us our own part to play. They're not our own words, but in the psalms, it's as if the spirit is giving us our sheet music. He's giving us the way that we respond rightly to the whole scope or the whole symphony of the Bible. The Psalms, Athanasius says, he says about the Psalms, when you listen to the Psalms, you not only learn about the law and the coming of Christ, but you also are taught about the movements of your own souls. When the passions take their toll on you, you are able to bring to bear the words of the Psalms. These divine songs have been provided for us and the inner emotions of our souls in whatever condition we find ourselves in. So, in the Psalms, the Spirit offers us the sheet music to sing along in praise and adoration to God in His Symphony. Athanasius goes on The truly amazing thing is that when we come to the Psalms, we recognize them as our own words. We are moved in conscience and we feel as though we are the ones speaking and take to heart the words of the song as if they are our own. So it's inappropriate in the Bible to find yourself in scripture, to find yourself in the story of Jonah say, or to find yourself in the resurrection of Lazarus or to find yourself in various parts of the scripture. That's a whole approach to the scripture that's inappropriate because scripture tells us what God has done in history and invites us to respond in repentance and faith. But the Psalms are unique. The Psalms are written as if they are our own words. They're not our own words, but it's as if the Spirit is leading us by the hands and saying, make these your words and align your heart to these words. That's why John Calvin said that the Psalms are the antidote to hypocrisy. They're the antidote to hypocrisy. If we pray the Psalms, if we make the Psalms our own, and if we align our hearts to the message of the Psalms, we won't be hypocritical people. That's why one commentator said the book of Psalms is God's prescription for a complacent church. They are simultaneously humans beings words to God and God's words to humans. The Psalms can revolutionize our devotional life, our family life, and the fellowship and witness of the church. So my goal this morning is twofold. It's to introduce the Psalms in general and then also introduce Psalm 119 in particular. And show how the Psalms are sculpted messianically. And we are invited to pray these prayers or sing these songs ourselves. So let's look at the message of the Psalms. The message of the Psalms. Jim Hamilton, one scholar, said the Psalms are true history, fulfilled prophecy, and enduring praise. The book of Psalms is the school of prayer, a fountain of truth, and a revelation of God Himself we will not master this book but oh that it might master us becoming the pulse to which our hearts beats the soil in which our souls take root so we're not going to master this book especially in this introductory time we're not going to master it but oh that it would master us that the words would seep down into our hearts that it would become the soil by which we worship god by which the, our lives grow out of But if I could give a a summary of what the Psalms are or the message of the Psalms, the Psalms are the Davidic songs of the Messiah and his people. So the Psalms are the Davidic Psalms of the Messiah and his people. So there's three elements to that. And I'll have uh, them move to the next slide, please. There's three elements to that. First, they are the Davidic Psalms. So first, we're going to look at that. The Psalms are most specifically the Psalms of David. The structure of the Psalms is that it's broken up into five different books and the first book and the second book and the final book are mostly written by David. So David crafted this book in such a way that, that lets us into, on Dave, into David's life a little bit, his in, the inner workings of his soul. But David realized that there was going to be a Messiah, one of his sons that would come after him that would save the world. And so David sculpted this book in such a way that pointed forward to that Messiah. So as David or Asaph or the sons of Korah wrote the book of Psalms, they were writing prophetically, looking forward to the coming Messiah. One example is Psalm 110 The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So David wrote this. Yahweh said to my Adonai, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the Psalms are messianic, we would say, but they're written by the people of Israel, Israelites who are looking forward to that coming Messiah. Looking for, written by David himself, who's looking for the coming of his greater son. So secondly, and most particularly, the Psalms are the songs of the Messiah. They're the songs about the Messiah. They are the Psalms that picture the Messiah, but they're also the Messiah's own words. They're his own songs. To return to that metaphor of the symphony, That metaphor of the symphony, the great crescendo is Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection. The climax, the, the culmination of everything the Old Testament longed for was completed on the cross. And as Jesus hung on the cross and as he breathed out his last, he breathed out a psalm. He breathed out a psalm. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 30, This is Psalm that's Psalm 31 verse 5 Into your hands I commit my spirit you have redeemed me O Lord my faithful God So in that most holy and sacred moment when the Messiah breathes out his last he's breathing out a psalm The Psalms were Jesus' prayer book The Psalms were the the songs of the Messiah Athanasius again said, before Christ came among us, God sketched the likeness of his perfect life for us in the book of Psalms. So the Psalms are used also by the gospel writers and those sermons in acts to tell us true things about the Messiah. They're used over and over again. And so we can look at the Psalms and we can see what Jesus prayed. For example, Psalm thirty five verse nineteen they hated me without cause forty one verse nine, even my friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. twenty two eight. They divide my garments among them for my and for my clothing they cast lots. twenty two verse one My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And 1610, looking forward to the resurrection, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The gospel writers notice that the Psalms are speaking about Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself used the words of the Psalms in his own life, in his prayer life. The psalmists recognized, or the gospel writers recognized, that the psalms were all about Jesus. So when we approach the psalms, we are approaching them messianically. For example, Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm 2, which we know well when it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, but who delights in the law of the Lord, those two Psalms are messianic. As David goes into and he writes this Psalm, he's looking forward to the blessed one who will perfectly walk in the way of the Lord, who will not walk in the way of the wicked. Psalm two calls on the nations to kiss the sun, to bow the knee to the sun. So David wrote these looking forward to that messianic king, Jesus Christ. As you you approach the Psalms, you can see this over and over again. You can see how Jesus just comes to the forefront. Like Athanasius says, it's almost as if the the Old Testament writers saw Jesus through the prophetic lens and they wrote about Jesus' life because it fits him. Jesus is the son of man in Psalm 8. He's the king of glory in Psalm 24, who ascends with a clean hand and a pure heart. He is the king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Jesus is the most excellent among men that Psalm 45 talks about. He's the one that David says, your throne, O God, will last forever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom, your love and righteousness. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by giving you the anointing oil of joy. So the Psalms are meant to point us to the Messiah because they are his songs. They are his prayers. So while the Psalms give us our own sheet music, while the Psalms give us prayers to pray, they are only our prayers in a derivative sense, in a secondary sense. Because first, the Psalms are the prayers of the Messiah, the songs of the Messiah. If you want to know the heart of Christ this morning, read the Psalms. If you want to know what Jesus was going off and praying to the Father those nights when everyone was looking for him or those times when everyone was looking for him for healing and they couldn't find where he was, he was off praying to the Father. And at least some of the things he was praying is found in these Psalms. So if you want to know the heart of Jesus, the tender heart of Jesus for you this morning, read the Psalms. The Psalms are a demonstration of that point that Hebrews makes, that we have a sympathetic high priest. So while we can pray the Psalms ourselves, while the Psalms give vent to our emotions ourselves, we know that Jesus himself prayed these Psalms, that he is near to us, that he experienced emotion and was without sin, but knew how we feel. Do you feel abandoned or or betrayed by a close friend? You can pray, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me, knowing that Jesus himself prayed this prayer. These are the prayers of Jesus that that God invites us to pray as well. So Jesus is near you as you pray the Psalms. It's a beautiful thing. It's, It's as if you are brought into communion with, this, with the Trinity, that you are praying to God and Jesus is there with you praying alongside you and the Spirit is there giving you the words as you pray these psalms. So they are the psalms of the Messiah, the, Meso- the psalms of Jesus Christ. But they're also the songs of Jesus' people, They're the songs of Jesus' people. Like I said before, the Psalms are an intensely personal book. They're an intensely personal book. We can make these songs our own. We can make these prayers our own. John Calvin calls the Psalms an anatomy of the soul. It reveals our emotions and thoughts. And And Calvin goes on, the Holy Spirit here has drawn to life all the grief, sorrows, fears, Doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions that agitate us. They're all there in the Psalms. The Holy Spirit gives us this anatomy of the soul, but it's not some sort of textbook, not some sort of anatomy book that we just look, open up and see, okay, where's anger? Where's sorrow? Where's lament? We don't look at it that way. No, the book of Psalms is a relational book. It's a prayer book. It puts us on our knees before God himself and puts us in that relationship, that covenant relationship with him, with God, through faith in the Messiah. So if your prayer life is suffering this morning, take up the Psalms and just pray these Psalms. Pray them. Oftentimes in life, we face a difficult scenario. There's something, a situation that is too big for us, and we wonder why this is happening to us. We struggle to know what God is doing. But God invites us to pray the Psalms to Him in any circumstance. He gives us a whole variety of circumstances. Whatever it may be, you can find it in the Psalms. And God is teaching us to pray in the Psalms. He's teaching us how we're to respond to our different life situations. Are you thankful? Are you corporately corporately worshiping? Are you repenting? Are you struggling with depression? Are you struggling with betrayal in your life? Do you want to remember God's salvific activity for you? Are you beginning a family? All those events, all those life events are in the Psalms, and so God wants to craft our emotions to respond rightly to whatever circumstance we find ourselves in in the Psalms. I've been very imperfect in this in my own life, but I always strive to let the Psalms shape my responses. So, for example, like last year when we were in Liberia and had no water and no electricity, and we were struggling daily to get those things. I tried to pray, God, let me pray with David. You have given me more joy in my heart when their grain and wine abound. And in my case, their, my, their water and electricity abound. God, would you be the joy of my heart even when I'm lacking these things? Or my grandma who looks out over the Sandia mountains and says with joy to all her grandkids, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I can't look at the Sandias without the psalm from my Grammy shaping those Sandia mountains, saying, The Lord will be your help. There was a few years ago where there was a family emergency in, in Georgia, Emily's side of the family, and I had a relative that, that wasn't breathing. So I called the first responders and, and started the, the CPR that I knew to do. And I didn't know what else to say as I, was, as I had the earpiece to my ear, except for the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and just over and over again as my relative seemingly wasn't breathing and eventually he, he turned out to be okay. But it, that moment was shaped by the Psalms that Jesus Christ was there shepherding me through that moment. This is what the Psalms do to us. They, they meet us in our most desperate moments and in our everyday moments. When we eat our food, we can say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Everyday moments and those decisive crisis moments are all shaped by the Psalms. And we can respond rightly. The Spirit is saying, this is how you can respond in this moment. Over a decade ago, there was a time when I went through a a debilitating depression. And I literally couldn't function. And during that time, again and again I read Psalm 18. Some days I couldn't get out of bed. There was there was nothing I could do except for read this psalm. So I memorized it, I meditated on it until God used this psalm to show me his salvation. Psalm 18, verse 3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. David then goes on to say, and you can see the messianic implications of this, oh, that you would bend the heavens and come down. He bowed the heavens and came down. Jesus came to my rescue. Through Jesus and his work and his defeating all my enemies, I can face whatever trial Satan throws at me, whatever trial I walk through. I can respond in faith in the Messiah that the, Psalm, that the psalmist writes about. And I can craft my emotions based on the psalms by the Spirit. I can ask God, God, give me this emotion. Even when I don't feel it, God, I know this word is true. And these, these Spirit-inspired expressions of, emo- of emotions are ha- what I should feel in this moment. God, help me feel these emotions and express my trust in you, or when I sin, when I feel that 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 rift between myself and God. And yeah, the union with God has not been touched because my faith is in the gospel, but I feel a distance from God because of some of my sin. I use the the words of the psalmist in Psalm fifty-one, or, or twenty-five, or thirty-two. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be whiter than snow. So my desire is that I would face those life crises and and the everyday life, with the Psalms, with the, not just with the Psalms, but with the whole word of scripture, but the Psalms give us this special way that we are to respond to God. So take up the Psalms and make them your own. But don't forget that the Psalms are first and foremost the Psalms of the Messiah, the songs of the Messiah. So there's that difficult dynamic. They are the Davidic songs of the Messiah and the Messiah's people, us who respond to the Messiah in faith. So now we're going to turn and see how this applies specifically to Psalm 119. How does this apply to Psalm 119 in particular? So Psalm 119 is in the final book of the Psalms. Like I said, there's five books of the Psalms. And this Psalm, this book of Psalms was crafted in such a way that, that shows and highlights the Messiah's reign. Jim Hamilton says, Psalm 107 sets the, the context. Book 5 anticipates the new exodus and the return from exile. Psalm 108 and 109 presents David's scenes from David's life projected typologically into the future. In Psalm 110, David describes the future enthronement of the Lord and the future king from his line. Then follow the hallelujahs in Psalm 111 to 117, and a hero enters Jerusalem in in Psalm 118 to establish the Torah in 119. And now now that he has triumphed, the people are magnetically drawn to Jerusalem." So the whole of book five is structured to highlight the messianic rule, how the Messiah will send forth his Torah, his law from Jerusalem. And that's what David had been promised in Second Samuel 7, that the Messiah would come and send out his Torah for the nations. And then in the Song of Ascents, the nations respond and come up to Jerusalem to worship the messianic king. So even though Psalm 119 is part of the Old Covenant. It's part of the Old Testament. It prophetically looks forward to the day when the Messiah will reign and send out his Torah, the law of Christ, the law of the Messiah. So we're invited to read this psalm as New Covenant believers. It's not that we're simply reading someone else's prayer. No, this is our prayer that we can pray ourselves. So Psalm 119 is a love, is, is, it's an affection for the word of the Lord. And so the psalmist talks about the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, and just stacks up these synonyms about the word of the Lord over and over again. He, said, he calls it the law, the testimony, the precept, the statute, the commandment, the judgment, the word, and the promise. So it's a love song for the word of God. But it's more than that. It's a love song for God who's given us His Word. Throughout this Psalm, you'll see that, that the Psalmist unites God and His Word. How do we know God? We know Him by His Word. We know Him by His Torah. We know Him by His commandments. We know Him by the Bible. If there's one thing people know about the book or Psalm 119 is that it's long. It's a long song. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's intentionally long, right? And and the elders actually said that I could structure the sermon around the psalm and take an extra two hours. So I I hope you're ready. No, just kidding. I won't do that. Um, but the psalm is intentionally long because it's an acrostic, it's called. So it takes every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, it takes every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then the first line in the alphabet always begins with that letter. So on the screen there, you see Aleph, the equivalent of A in English. And you can see that Hebrew, you read it from right to left, and so that every word in the this first acrostic in the first eight verses begin with the word the letter aleph and he does that for the entire hebrew alphabet he goes again and again and and, and talks about how lovely the word is using every single word of the alphabet so sometimes in poetry the very structure of the song, of the poem communicates something A classic example of this is George Herbert's The Altar. So you can, you can, and he structured this poem to look like an altar or a a pulpit itself. So the structure communicates something. Herbert's, it's it's such a beautiful poem that I'll just read it briefly to see how the, the structure points to the content of the poem. A broken altar, or we would say in, in our day, pulpit, a broken altar, Lord, thy servant rears, made of a heart and cemented with tears. Whose parts are as thy hand d- did frame, no workman's tool hath touched the same. A heart alone is such a stone as nothing but thy power doth cut. Wherefore each part of my hard heart meets in this frame to praise Thy name; that if I chance to hold my peace, these stones to praise Thee may not cease. O oh, let Thy blessed sacrifice be mine, and sanctify this altar to be to be Thine. So Her- Herbert structured his psalm to make the the point that that the pulpit and and the preacher behind the pulpit is is really. Not that great of a vessel, right? It's made of a heart, but it's cemented with tears. And the, per, the, the preacher himself has a hard heart that no power can cut except for the, the power of God. And so Herbert prays in this poem, Oh, let thy blessed sacrifice be, be mine and sanctify this altar to be thine. So what, what he's praying there is, let your sacrifice be mine and use this pulpit to proclaim your word rightly, even though I have a hard heart. And he structures the poem itself to make that point, to, to aesthetically adorn the content of the poem. And in Psalm 119, he's doing the same thing. He's aesthetically adorning the content of the message. But he's also communicating a message at the same time. What the psalmist is communicating is he's saying, you know what? The word of God is so delightful, it's so wonderful, it's so beautiful that I'm going to use every letter of the alphabet and use eight verses of every letter of the alphabet to show just how wonderful and how beautiful the word of God is. So when you read through this psalm, we don't catch all that poetry, but what we do catch is the intent of the psalmist, He wants us to be like the shore that the wave hits again and again and again and again with how wonderful and beautiful the word of the Lord is. The word of the Lord is complete. There's not a single letter. There's not a single letter from the alphabet missing. Even the least important letter is not missing. We would have a hard time with X, right? If we were crafting this poem. But every single letter in the book, in the alphabet is in this Psalm to help us orient our mind around the beauty of the word. Psalmist wants to look at us to look at the word from different angles. He wants to look us to see. He's saying, if you've missed it here, maybe you'll catch it a few letters down. So I, I encourage you, it only takes, it doesn't actually take three hours to read Psalm 119. It only takes 30 minutes. So I would encourage you this summer as we're, as we're going through this psalm to, to read it and to pray it and to make the psalmist's words your own words. So in the, in the last time that I have, I want to look at those first two letters, Aleph and Bet. So Psalm, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119, verses 1 to 16. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth in the way of your testimonies. I delight as much as in riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So in the moments I have left, I just want to highlight two things from this psalm. I want to highlight what the psalm psalmist is talking about when he talks about blessing or blessed are those, and secondly the way of the Lord. So first in verse one, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Notice, everyone wants to be blessed. Coming in the last year and a half almost in the prosperity gospel context, everyone wants blessing. But the reality is that the Bible tells us to long for God's blessing. Now, we may define that differently than prosperity gospel teachers, but every single person has been designed to long for the blessing that comes from God himself. It's a wholeness, a a happiness, a flourishing. It's God's definition of the good life. Walking in communion and union with God himself. It's the blessed life. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, blessed are those who attain the American dream. Blessed are those who have no debts. Blessed are those who can retire early. Blessed are those who have a good education. Blessed are those whose relationships are all satisfying. Blessed are those who have unlimited access to entertainment and two-day shipping. That's not what the psalmist says. It's not what the psalmist said. He says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So think back to my definition of the Psalms. My summary of the Psalms is the Davidic songs of the Messiah and the Messiah's people. So this Psalm, I think, is especially designed for the people of the Messiah. It's designed for us. The Messiah in the scripture is the blessed man. God himself is the blessed one. God is blessed. As we, as we said this morning, God, blessed be you. Blessed be the Lord, as we said that psalm together. Blessed is the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God is the one who is blessed, but the man who is blessed is the Messiah. Psalm 1, we said, speaks of the Messiah. He is the blessed man. But here, the psalmist wants us to think back to Psalm 1, and now he's broadening it out and said, how blessed are those, the people of the Messiah, Who walk in the law of the Lord. The immediate context in Psalm 118 also shows us that the Messiah is the one who is blessed. It's the Psalm 18 that says, Blessed is he, the rejected cornerstone that comes in the name of the Lord. So as the the, the the person who compiled and organized the psalmist, he wants us to walk into Psalm 119 thinking of the blessing of the Messiah. And remember that the blessed man is the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The psalmist says, blessed are those who seek after God with his whole heart. But we know from Romans, there are none who seek after God. So what's happening here? The psalmist says, blessed are those who seek after God with their whole heart. But Romans, Paul says, there are none who seek after God. Is this some sort of cruel trick? Is this some sort of cruel trick? It's like telling the toddler, oh yeah, you can have a cookie when you can reach the cookie jar and then putting the cookie jar on the top shelf. No, no, the cookie jar of blessedness is in reach through the blessed Messiah. Through our union with Christ, we experience that heart renovation so that we become those who seek after the Lord with their whole heart and walk in the way of the Torah. It's only through our union with Jesus Christ, the Messiah that the Psalms pointed through to, that we can know this blessedness. This blessedness is not held out of reach. It's come near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So the spirit is saying to us as we read the psalm, look to Jesus where your blessedness is found. And in him you can walk in the way of the Lord not by works of the law. We're not trying to establish our standing before God. No, we are seeking to establish our standing before God only in the Messiah himself. And then we will walk in his way, walk in his Torah, not by works of the law, but by the Messiah himself. So the psalmist points to a new covenant reality that we experience The psalmist is seeking after God with his heart, a promise that will come in the new covenant. This is why Martin Luther said Psalm 119 is a prophecy of the future coming of grace, where we will be able to walk in the law. because what the law could not do Paul said weak as it was through through the flesh through my flesh i could not do the works of the law i could not make a standing before god but paul goes on god did god did it sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in those who walk not according to the the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the psalmist even invites us to read this psalm messianically in light of the new covenant. He's saying Go after Christ because Christ is the one that can change your heart and renovate your, your heart. And as Paul says in Romans, we as Christians do not overthrow the law, but we establish it and fulfill it through the work of the Messiah. So do you know this blessedness? Do you know the Messiah who who is the way, the truth, and the life? He's the one that the law points to. The Old Testament prophesied about the new covenant and its coming reality and talked about it as a cleansing. Ezekiel 36 verse 25, starting in verse 25 says, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness from all the idols and I I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and notice cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's the reality that that the blessedness in Psalm Psalm 119 verse 1 and 2 is pointing to is talking about the blessedness or wholeness that comes from the Messiah. So that in light of this Messiah, we can delight in the whole of scripture. But notice that we are to delight in the law of the Lord. The original author of Psalm 119, even though we don't know who he was, he truly delighted in the law of Moses. So we, as new covenant believers, If we're to apply Psalm 119 rightly, we need to delight not in just Genesis and the first 20 chapters of Exodus, but in also the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the whole symphony of scripture as it comes to us in the Bible. We're to delight in every portion, including and particularly delight in the law of Moses, which would have been the original referent that the psalmist was talking about. So how do you know? How do you know if God has worked in your heart? How do you know if God has cleansed your heart and removed your heart of stone and put, and put a new heart of flesh within you and written his law on your heart? How do you know that? It's if you can say with the psalmist, I delight in your word and mean that from the heart. Has God given you a taste for his word? Has God given you a delight in his word? Can you say with the psalmist, oh, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth? So what I wanted to invite us to do this morning is to read Psalm 119 messianically. Read it in the context of the Psalter, the context that points us forward to the Messiah, and yet read it with a delight, a true delight in the Bible. Lastly, the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord. The psalmist says, Blessed are those who walk in the way of the Lord. Oftentimes we think of Psalm 119 as as pious thoughts and feelings about, uh, about the law, as if the Pharisees could write Psalm 119. But the reality is Psalm 119 is for us believers who walk in the law of the Lord based on the way that the Messiah has paved for us. The psalmist knows this. He's he's not talking about some self-righteousness here. Because the last verse of Psalm 119 says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. So there's a disconnect from where the law of the Lord is and where the psalmist wants to be. So the psalmist recognizes, I have wandered away. And you can think about how the psalmist begins the psalm talking about the way of the Lord. He sees this way lined out before him in the law of the Lord, in the Bible, and yet he is over here wandering like a lost sheep. He's lost. This doesn't sound like exclaiming his own righteousness, this sounds like, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So he sees the law of the Lord. He sees this blessedness, and he says, God, help me reach this. Seek me out and find me. I am the lost sheep. You are the shepherd of my soul. Help me get onto this level path. Let me walk in the way of your commandments because the psalmist knows he wants us to think again of Psalm chapter one, where there's the way of the wicked that ends up in the seat of the scoffers. There are two ways within the Psalms in the, in the poetry of the Bible. There are two ways to live. There's the commandments of God, the Torah of God, or the way of the wicked. And the psalmist says, I'm out here. I'm not walking on the commandments of God. I'm not walking in in the way that God designed for me to walk. I'm astray like a a lost sheep. Seek me, Lord, and put me back on the level plane of your commandments. Do you feel that this morning? Do you feel that, that you are prone to wander? Can you say with the hymn, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The psalmist invites us to walk in the way of the Lord, to walk in the Torah of the Lord, to listen to the commandments, the statutes that God has given us in his word. And all these roads lead one direction. In the Symphony of the Spirit, in the Bible, all these roads are leading to one place. they're leading to Jesus Christ himself. The psalms are leading us to Jesus Christ. And I think Jesus has this psalm in mind when he says in John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me." Moses spoke of Jesus. The law of the Lord leads us in the way of Jesus. The law leads us to Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is invite you to delight in the law of the Lord and let it lead you to Jesus. Delight in the Bible. Delight in Jesus to whom the Bible points to. Delight in the law and delight in Psalm 119 for the rest of the summer. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us. God, we feel with the psalmist that we have gone astray, that we are wandering like lost sheep. Lord Jesus, we know that you alone are blameless. You alone are the spotless lamb. You are the lo- alone are the one who was sacrificed for us and for our salvation, so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use the law, use the Mosaic law, use, use the whole Pentateuch and all the writings and the prophets to point us to Jesus this morning. And I pray that Psalm 119 would not just be a, a someone else's psalm, but that this summer you would make this psalm our own and that we would truly delight in your word, in Jesus' name.